Second Peter chapter three, the apostle writes by the spirit of God, but that, but the day of the Lord, which uh, will come as a, a thief in the night. And pastor did a phenomenal job preaching on, teaching on uh, rather the uh, rapture of the church. He says, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now that's, that's like skipping to the end almost of the book of Revelation and you're thinking to the apostle Peter, okay, I get it. John's writing Revelation. Why are you including this? And, and John does, or uh, the apostle rather Peter does something particular he says, uh, this knowledge should shape how you live now. He says, it's not merely to inform uh, what you know, to make you some type of eschatology buff that walks around and can pick up every little nuance out of the timeline of the future of biblical history. And I believe that at some point you should be able to study that. And if you're here tonight and you're brand new to church, I'm going to go ahead and warn you that the first time you hear these kinds of things, you don't get everything. Maybe some of you are so brilliant you got it the first time they ever taught on eschatology. But uh, when, what John, or the Apostle Peter says, rather, in verse 11, he says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, he says it, What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, that wonderful King James English there, conversation, doesn't mean your words. It means the way that you converse through life. In view of eternity, knowing what we know about the end of all things, what manner of people, what, what type of faith, what kind of living should flow out of this wonderful thing that we know about the end times? How should we then now live? I, I love uh, uh, talking about the distinction. I, I want to do a little bit tonight, and I, I am going to try to land, and uh, I have something particular I think the Lord wants me to wrap up with. It's okay, my wife's here tonight. She can cough really loud. Let's talk about the immediate destination. I want to I build your understanding a little bit and then do some application at the end. The immediate destination for the believer after this life is heaven. But the final destination in eternity for believers is something else. It's called the New Jerusalem. All right, now I'm going to try to build you uh, to that understanding. Let's look at the immediate destination for believers, heaven. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. He says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be, to be what? Absent from the body. Now, now, what happens when we leave our body at death? He says, and to be present with the Lord. So there is a reason that we talk about these things. We had a wonderful a funeral today of a lovely saint who's gone on to her reward. And when we bury that body in faith, when we as Christians say uh, we're not going to, uh, we're going to bury them physically in the ground. Why do we do that as a testimony of our belief? But we can say about our wonderful sister in the Lord that has now gone on to her reward. You ready? We, we buried her body in faith in, in anticipation of the resurrection at the rapture, but she is not there. 
Because when somebody closes their eyes on in pain in this life, when somebody closes their eyes on a lot of confusion in this life, what the Bible helps us understand is they open up their eyes in the presence of the Lord. So we don't fear death as other people fear death. We know that there is a reward. There is a destination for the believer. And we'll try not to slip into preaching, but this is hard. Luke 23, 43, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now notice he didn't say the grave. And I know there's some confusion maybe around these issues, around the notion of soul sleep, that maybe our soul awaits in that body, but the Bible's very clear to be absent in the body when you leave your body at death is to be present with the Lord. That's why in Acts 7, 59, Stephen cries out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And you can stone this body to death. But my spirit is going to be with the Lord. In James 2, 26, James says the body without the spirit is dead. First Thessalonians 4, 13 says, but I would not have you uh, to be ignorant, brethren, Paul writes, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. That's why in John 11, 11 through 13, Jesus says to his disciples that are confused about why he didn't go heal Lazarus until he died. He said, Lazarus sleeps. And he says, and uh, you can look in Luke chapter eight, verse 55. Jesus says to those who are confused about Jairus's daughter, she is not dead, but sleepeth. Philippians 1, 23 through 24. We don't have time to go through it in detail. All I want you to do is see what the scripture says. That Paul says, I, I'm living in the flesh, but I desire to depart from this flesh to be with Christ. So the body sleeps and it waits and anticipates rapture. What pastor was talking about last week, that in the moment and the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Why? Because you're going to need that 1 Corinthians 15 glorified body to operate the way God wants you to operate in the millennium and on the new earth. We don't have time to deal with all of that in detail, but I'll give you uh, one, one more little uh, blip on that where... Uh, uh, well, you, you got it. Okay, let's go into the millennium. We, we don't have time to deal with the millennium, the thousand-year rule. Uh, where uh, You do know that you're being built for more than just floating around in heaven like with wings and harps and little naked babies. I don't know what that has to do with anything. <laughs> Brother Brown, that's not in the Bible. Hallelujah. Thank God. Hallelujah. I'm I'm Pastor, uh, whatever, just throw something at me or something. But even during the millennial reign, we're going to return to, because he, you know, we have some promises that if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. And the anticipation of, of every Old Testament prophets uh, uh, made to the patriarchs, uh, uh, you ready? Everything that the Old Testament anticipates is about reigning here on earth and we will rule and reign with him. But, but that final destination is what I want to talk about tonight when we consider eternity, that eternal state. The Bible speaks of it this way, that uh, uh, in the Bible, that pilgrim believers in this life are seeking this new place, that place of our eternal state, that place that is a city. Abraham sought it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Goes on in verse 16 to talk about all the heroes of, of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, but now they desire a better country. 
That is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. You ready? Because they live their life in anticipation of that other world. And they realize that this world really is not my home. And that type of faith can make you go through any type of problem or issue or trial of your faith in such a way that God says, I am not ashamed to call them mine. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying tonight. And that means everybody else can look down on you. That means the world can look down on you. And you can say, I'm not concerned with the eyes of this world. I'm concerned with the eyes of heaven. Because God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them. Everybody say a city. He goes on in verse 22 and 23, but... You are coming to Mount Zion, he says, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to, uh, he goes on to say, unto the uh, innumerable company of angels. Now, I want you to hang on to that because uh, the reality of the, the throne that our God reigns on, the reality of the heaven that we're going to step into as the new Jerusalem, that reigning throne right there, if it, if it wasn't for what Jesus did at Calvary, only that we could only have, Brother Lopez, a company of innumerable angels. But he didn't say that. He said, you also have the spirits of, of uh, just men made perfect. What does that mean? I was justified, and then through life, I have been prepared to step into that eternal state and the fact that he's on the throne, not as just God, but God and the lamb gives me the opportunity to stand on streets of gold one day and say, I can worship the Lord in eternity. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to get there. He says for verse 14, for here we have, here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So when does it arrive, Brother Kilman? Well, let's look at it. It's after the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, and, and the destruction of the old heavens and the earth. Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 34.4, and all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down, speaking of the stars, and the, as the leaf falleth off the vine, and as the uh, of falling of a fig from the tr fig tree, all of that's going to be dissolved. The psalmist says in Psalm 102, verse 25 and 26, Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish. Now, we have to be reminded that as, as good American people that are living in a very affluent society with a lot of freedom, that this Bible wasn't just written for Americans. Our brothers and sisters that are over in India and over in uh, different places that are in China, disappearing out of the pulpit, one of the greatest comforts they have is phrases like this. You ready? All of this that we see around us, they shall perish. There's coming something else. That's our hope. And that gives them the faithfulness and should give us the faithfulness to live in this life. But the psalmist says, but thou shalt endure, yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them. God is going to change the heavens and the earth, and they shall be changed. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away. That's why you can't get too caught up in this stuff. I'm not against you having stuff, but God is against stuff having you. That's why the eternal view that Man, I'm going to tell you, when I start thinking about what he has in store that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, the things that he has stored up for them that love him at his appearing, that we can't even dream of what God has for us in eternity. Leads the apostle Peter, as I read already, that 
uh, that I've read uh, already tonight. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. We always use that as a rapture text, but it's actually a second coming text. And the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now, what does that mean? Uh, the, the apostle Peter is trying to show us. He's trying to show us that there are only two destinations in eternity. And what, what, what the uh, believer's final state will be is we will work on the new earth. God is not working a plan B. What he started in the garden with Adam and Eve is going to be accomplished on the new earth. God's plan and purpose for them to exercise dominion perfectly was not thwarted because he didn't somehow see that Satan was going to tempt Adam and Eve and they were going to fail. Instead, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that uh, it's, it's the trial of our faith that works in us a more exceeding weight of glory. That's why Paul says, I, I'm very comfortable. I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I'm not, I don't like being beat. I don't like being shipwrecked. I don't like vice, uh, facing all of these things. He said, but the, the good thing is, as I always going about bearing in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life of the Lord Jesus might be in me as well. You ready? That I'm being shaped not only for this life, but I'm being shaped for eternity. I'm being shaped for that other world. And there's going to come a day where there are no enemies and we can be on that other side fulfilling the will of God. Dwelling in that city. Working in the new earth. So let me, let me give you the eternal destination in that new Jerusalem. Let me give you just some aspects of the way that John describes it. The new Jerusalem is described as, if you'll let me use this language, as a bride city, which is the language of intimacy. Revelation 21, 2, and I saw, uh, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. When I was standing here at the altar, not too many, well, a few years ago now, sorry, baby, and my wife made her way down that aisle, that's all I saw. Everybody else, I didn't even care if you were here. I'm glad you came. But the one that I was swearing covenant to forever was there. My love that I was committing my, uh, etern my, the rest of my life to. And the good thing is we're never going to die. Okay, I'll try to behave. Second Corinthians 11, 2. For I am jealous over you, the apostle Paul writes, with a godly jealous, jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. We don't even have time to go to Ephesians 5. You look that up on your own. We don't need to tonight. All Paul is talking about is that union in marriage is as close as we can get to union with Christ in the spirit. And he speaks a mystery talking about Christ in the church. That You ready? That imagery of personal relationship between Christ and the redeemed. That every anticipation of the Old Testament sacrifice was fulfilled in him. So the blood flowed backwards to pick up all of those sacrifices. You ready? Because they without us could not be made perfect it says in Hebrews 11 but you ready it flows forward today and if you're not baptized in Jesus name and you don't have the blood of Christ applied to your life I'm just going to tell you it'd be a great night for you to say I want to be a part of that bride and go to that city let me see if I can uh, wrap up tonight that's false close number one Second aspect of the city is not only is it a bride city, the Bible descri describes it as a, as a temple and tabernacle. Revelation 21, uh, 22, but I, I saw 
no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And at Revelation 21, 3, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he shall dwell with them and they shall be his people and he himself shall uh, uh, be with them and be their God. Now, I just want to do this for you, uh, oneness Pentecostals who are so oneness you don't even see uh, these tiny type of statements in scripture. Uh, that you ready? Uh, the voice out of heaven saying, this is the tabernacle of God that is with men and he, that's a singular pronoun, he, not they, he will dwell with them and they shall be his people, not their people. Thinking of the young girl in uh, California, we were in the Western District, pastor, I was teaching there and, and I, I remember Roxanne walking up to me and, and she was getting the revelation of oneness and she said, Brother Kilman, I want to believe what you're teaching, but the problem is I, if God's a trinity, I don't want to blaspheme. I said, oh, Sister Roxanne, you don't have to worry about that. He that hath the Son hath the Father also. Now, notice you don't have the Trinity, but when you get the Lamb, you get the one on the throne. I'm trying. So uh, there's this little event called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 10, and I'll go ahead and tip my eschatological hand like Pastor did. I happen to be a pre-tribulation rapturous guy too, so... God bless the rest of y'all. Hallelujah. Uh, I love you. I love you. And then, uh, but prior to the coming of the new Jerusalem is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and then we get into that new Jerusalem. I mean, let me tell you what the Bible says of the blessing of this new, this city where we're going to dwell. First of all, there's a blessing of what's missing. Revelation 21, 4 says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And no tears. That's that rich language of intimacy. It's like watching my son, Brother Lopez, when he was a young boy, he was running, he would fall down, skin his knee, he would cry. And mama had that beautiful ability to walk up to him and, and, and bend down and tell him he's going to be okay and wipe away that tear. That's the language of intimacy. There's going to be no more crying over there. They're going to be, the Bible says, there's going to be no more sea. I wish we had time to deal with the implications of that in detail, but you can't get everything at once. No death. I, I would have had an older brother, Joy, wherever you're at. I would have had an older brother, Mark, and I, I never got the chance to meet him because I was just a small baby boy when he died. He almost, uh, almost lived to be three years old, but over there, I'm going to see him. And there's going to be no more death. There's going to be no sorrow, no crying, no pain. And when the Bible says there's no going to be any, there's no going to be no temple there. That's like Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, where one priest uh, once a year would uh, walk into the temple. And Brother Layton, what would happen is, is uh, if you were the high priest, you would see that fire come down from God out of heaven and it would lick up the, the blood from off the mercy seat. And you would know that the sin issue had been dealt with for another year. But on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that there are cloven tongues like a fire that set on each of them. We have more access than what they had. It's not that we're a better people. It's just we're more privileged in the economy of God's self-revelation. Self but there's coming a time where everybody's going to have more than we have now. Everybody will be able to see him and have access to him. Because there's no temple. Because he's going to be the temple. He's going to be the place of encounter. No curse, no moon, no sun, no closed gates on the city. Then the Bible says something else that won't enter there. There shall be no wise enter into it anything that defileth, nor 
whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. And you could look at uh, 20, uh, Revelation 21, 8 and 27 to get this, but there's going to be no defilers there, no abominations there, no liars there, no fearful there, no believe, unbelievers there, no murderers there, no whoremongers there, no sorcerers there, no idolater, idolaters there. What does that mean? It's like the old spiritual says, uh, we won't study war no more. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I start thinking about what Paul says, that there's a spirit that works, he says, and the children of disobedience. And I've had to raise a boy. Thank God he's 21. He's made good decisions. We've had a great church. Thank you for all of you that have ever put your hands on the life of my son and helped him understand that there is something more powerful than this world. It's called eternity. And you get tired of fighting every attack against your family. I'm just going to tell you, there's going to come a day where there's not going to be any more fighting of those that want to take our children away from the notions that we want to put in their heart around God and righteousness and eternity. He is going to win. That means not everybody gets there. Thank God. Heaven ain't going to be broken. <laughs> uh, Brother Carson, I don't let everybody in my house. Why? Because I love my kids too much to let everybody in my house. Don't you know God loves you too much to let people into eternity that are going to break it and make it what happened in Genesis 3? He ain't doing Genesis 3 again. He's going to rule and reign. That's why the willing and obedient will eat the good of the land. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a promise. Then the blessing of what's there. He says, but... Revelation 21, 27, the last half of the verse, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The apostle Peter says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. It's going to be a place of absolute righteousness. Now, I'm going to give you some cliff notes for those of you who like details. In that new creation... There are going to be opportunities. Revelation 22.3 shows us there's going to be the opportunity to serve. To work for the Lord in eternity. I don't know about you. I love worship, Brother Lopez, but if you told me all we're doing is singing, my sister can do that. Maybe with the changed body, I'll get some new pipes. She drained the gene pool. I'm blaming her. But the opportunity to serve is... Is what God intended in Genesis. It's deeper than that. Secondly, there's going to be meetings and reunions. It's reflected in David's statement of 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, that he couldn't go to, his, his, his uh, dead son couldn't come to him, but he could go to where he is. Revelation 22 talks about we're going to see the Lord. You ready? There's going to be reunions and we're going to have meetings of people. We, we will get to walk up to the Apostle Paul and say, what was it like? And he may ask you, what was it like to live right before the coming of the rapture? There's going to be unrestrained joy, according to Isaiah 35 and 10 and Revelation 19 and 7. And there's going to be the opportunity to rule in Revelation 22, 5. And what, is, what does your faithfulness mean now? It's preparing you to rule the right way. Do you understand that when the world doesn't even get your faithfulness, you're being shaped for eternity? The opportunity to rest from sin and self. And the all-filled worship that you can see in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 15. And if you don't like worship, I do love worship. 
That's going to be a major part of what eternity is. And the Bible says in 1 John 3, 2, the apostle John writes, we shall be like him. That internal thing that we struggle with that tries to pull us back into the world. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that mortals shall put on immortality. That I, Brother Butler, don't have to wrestle with this flesh at some point. It's going to be changed and I will be like him. What a promise. And then the rewards. We don't even have time to deal with all of the implications of Revelation 22, 12. Let me give you a biblical portrayal of the city, and I really am closing tonight. That the Old Testament and the New Testament and the tribulation and millennial saints, yes, there are four categories, Brother Lopez. They will, they will all be united in the New Jerusalem. That the 12 tribes of Israel represent the 12 gates and the 12 foundation uh, represents the, uh, the 12 apostles. And Brother Kilman, who is inside of her? Well, Revelation 21 uh, says uh, very, very clearly, verse 27, there shall no wise enter any, all of the bad things, he says, but those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Your number one issue about your eternal destiny is what are you going to do with the Lamb? Then he said, who is not in her, who is excluded? And we've already looked at that. The fearful, the unbelieving. You ready? All, all the righteous will be inside the new Jerusalem. Brother Lopez, that doesn't leave anybody for any place else. And all the unbelieving and all the sinners have to be outside of that great city. Why? Because those that leave that city to go operate God's dominion on the new earth have to be the saved. It's a city, the Bible says, four square. Revelation 21, uh, 16 and 17. And the city lieth four square, and the length of it is as large as the breadth. He measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Now, you have to think to yourself, what is four square? What is the greatest thing that's square in the consciousness of the Hebrew people? It's, it's when you think about the tabernacle. You have the outer court, you have the holy place, and then you have that perfect cube, the holy of holies. And again, that only one man could go into one time a year. We are going to live with him. Why? Because the high priest was worried about committing sin. So he had to get in and get out quick. But you ready? We won't have to worry about sin anymore. We're going to dwell there. We're going to live with him. We're not going to fight this flesh and sin and the world anymore. We will be with him. The Bible says 12,000 furlongs. That's a Greek uh, the, the equivalent of a Greek stadium, 606 foot nine inches. And uh, that's a massive, it's about 1,500 miles cubed. Uh, they will tell us, if you, if you look at the modern way that we do cities now, you could fit probably 100 billion people within that city. I just want to tell you tonight, there's enough room. If you have, man, if, you, if you're not ready for eternity, I'm going to tell you there's plenty of room. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. And you look at that Jewish wedding uh, uh, ceremony and he, and he would get betrothed, Pastor, I got to hurry. But he would get to that, he would bet get betrothed. He would come, he would make that promissory uh, 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 statement and they would be betrothed. He would pay the price and he did at Calvary. Then he would leave to his father's house and he would build a side of apartments onto his daddy's house. And, and that third definition of the, of the Latin word mansiones is uh, when you look at mansions is, uh, Brother Layton, a, a set of uh, apartments in a palatial 
palatial palace. So maybe you're not going to get that standalone uh, mansion that you think. But the third definition of mansion you'll get. You get to dwell in the New Jerusalem. I don't care if I have a standalone house. I just want to be a part of that city. And it describes it in literal terms. And, and we don't have time. You look at the beauty of it. And, and the Bible says in uh, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And it lists the beauty of that city. It's better than any builder could ever dream of making. And happily ever after pales in comparison to what the scripture describes in literal terms when we understand that he has that prepared for us. So how, how are we to live in view of this promise, Brother Kilman? Frames are now. It's not pie in the sky, better by and by. Brother Brown, you took a couple classes where I went to seminary. I got great friends over there. I'm not trying to be too mean-spirited. But they would say, because we take the Bible literally, that you believe in that pie in the sky, better by and by, Jazz. I'm going to tell you that pie in the sky better by and by that hope of eternity makes me live faithful now. You want to talk about something affecting your, uh, the way that you live now about justice and all of those things. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to live obedient now. Why? Because I got way too many promises in this book to mess up what God is freely offering me in eternity. I'm going to get mine from the Lord. And I'm going to close tonight. With Jesus revealed as the lamb on the throne. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I think it's fascinating. The Bible says, notice it. Now, I'm going to help you, okay? Uh, it's not revelations. There's only one. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you say revelations, uh, you get to heaven. I don't know. You can't lie, but maybe you can tell them you went to my good friends, Brother Royers in California or something. I don't know. I love you, sir. I'm just picking on you. The revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the tragedy is when people start talking about the end times, more people know, uh, it seems like more, more people know more about what Antichrist is doing than what Christ is doing. What is the revelation of Jesus Christ? Philippians 2.9, you got that for me? Bible says, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Turn to your neighbor and say, he was given it. But Brother Kilman, wasn't he, wasn't his mama told to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from his sin? Yeah, that was prophecy. But that name had to be earned. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 shows you that by Jesus being the suffering servant, he conquered death, and that's when he earned the name Jesus. See, Jesus means Yahweh has become my salvation. We sing stuff like things change when I call you Jesus. Things change when I call your name. I hope you know what you're singing. Because when you can call him your salvation, things do change. When you get the revelation that through him I can be saved and I can be redeemed and he's my Lord and he's going to take me in. I'm going to tell you, you get that eternal perspective and things will change. I hope you get what these worship leaders are trying to sing into your understanding and sing into your heart. They're trying to form victory in you as you sing about our Lord. Revelation 3.12 he that overcometh, Jesus says, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God? Everybody say permanence. You're not just a 
scaffolding somewhere. You're going to be there forever. And he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down from, uh, of heaven from my God. This is all language of sonship and incarnation. And then Jesus says, I will write upon him my new name. What does that mean, Brother Kilman? Is he going to get a new novel name other than the name Jesus? Let me help you with that. Philippians 2 tells us when he earned the name Jesus, but Revelation 3 shows us when he lives up to his name Jesus. I'll prove it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Paul says, For we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even also as I am known. You ready? I I know the name Jesus now, but I got a partial knowledge. I got partial things in my life right now. But when I stand on those streets of gold in eternity, I shall know even as I am known. I'll have full knowledge. You ready? And I'll be known as the victory that Jesus won. Let me help you. See, it's a revelation of the victor and the revelation of our victory. It's the revelation of the victorious Lord and the revelation of his victorious people. It's the lamb slain and it's the redeemed saved. It's he who overcome who presents us as the overcomers. We see him as he is and he sees his final work in us. I'll prove it to you. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, now. We're saved. But then John goes on to say, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I can anticipate, Brother Tom, a fuller victory that's over this flesh and everything. Why? Because when I see him there as he is, then I'll be presented at his victory. That's his victory. Romans 8, 18 and 19. For I reckon, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. See, what's going to happen is in eternity, Jesus is going to prove that his name uh, is right. (laughs) Brother Lopez, uh, he wouldn't be much of a savior if he didn't have the saved up there. I just want to remind you tonight that Jesus is in no way intimidated by his name. If you want to be saved, he's going to help you be saved. It's going to be the vindication of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let Let me prove it to you. In the, in the scripture, names reveal character. That's why in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Now, what does that mean? It's not that they didn't know the name. It reflects a deeper type of knowing through that encounter. So the further revelation of a name in scripture reveals something else about the God that we serve. You could go through all of those names of God in the Old Testament. And he reveals who he is by living up to that name. You ready? In that encounter, you really know. 
That's why a lot of people sing about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Why, Brother Cameron? Because they don't sing in the spirit. Wish we had time to go to Ephesians and Colossians, but there's a reason that we sing spiritual songs, songs of the spirit. We're going to sing that song, Worthy is the Lamb. We're going to sing that, and we're going to have a song as the old timers used to sing, that the angels cannot sing, glory, hallelujah, I have been. And he's lived up to his name. Oh. So it's not a revelation of persons. It's a roles and manifestations being revealed. I'll close with this. Whoever can come and play, Brother Stumbo, if you'll help me, it'll put pressure on me. <laughs> Revelation 22, 3 and 4. I'm, I'm close, two minutes. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Turn to your neighbor and say, two. Brother Stephen, but not three. What does that mean? The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And look at what the Bible says. And his, not there, his servant shall serve him, not them. And they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Because when you stand on the streets of God, if it wasn't the throne of the Lamb, if it was only the throne of God, Angels could worship him. The four beasts could worship him. But unless, Brother Massengill, it's also the throne of the Lamb, I can't stand before him and worship one day. That's why they lift up their voice in Revelation 5, 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. What are you saying tonight, Brother Kilman? That that new name is not novel. It's new in this sense. It's revealed in a way that it's never been revealed before because it will accomplish what it was for. Stand with me tonight. John 8, 24. Jesus said, I say... I said, therefore, unto you that ye, plural, you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Why? Because, Sister Collins, there's only one way to the Father, not the Trinity. There's only one way to the Father. And Jesus saying, I am the way. Came to his own, his own received him not, but as many as receive him, he gave power to become the sons of God. That means that we that understand who he is, that we've acknowledged him as the Lord Jesus who died. He gets to be our reigning king. And we're going to stand in eternity as a vindication to his name. That every lie of the enemy that's tried to tell you you can't have victory. Every temptation that's ever troubled you. One of these days we're going to get on the other side and say, all of that could not dispel what God revealed in his name to me. That he is a savior. That eternal state will be filled with awe and praise because we understand. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. To receive, he has all power. 
He deserves all riches and he's filled with all wisdom and has all strength and is worthy of all honor, glory, and blessing. And we're going to stand in eternity saying, God, I don't, I don't deserve to stand here, but I am a vindication of your name. Would you just say, Lord, I, I, I believe what you say in your word. One of these days, we're going we're gonna to have the rule, not just the redemption. We're going to have the rule of the Lamb. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. We won't have any pain or any tears. Why? Because I know what that name is in my life. Come on, right there where you stand. If, you, if you've been wrestling tonight, uh, or rather not, I, I don't know about this Jesus name stuff, Brother Kilman. Can I just tell you that you got to sing with faith now? You got to confess with your faith now. Worthy is the land now. So you can sing that song over there. You don't want to be left out of that chorus. There's way too much stored up in heaven for us. So would you just say to the Lord tonight, I worship you, God, for who you are what you've done, that you are the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not in a manger anymore, Lord. You're not on a cross anymore, Lord. You're the resurrected Lord of glory. You are our God, our King. You are the one on the throne. You got my family in your hand. You got my future in your hand. You got my life in your hand, God. You know how to get me on the other side and Come on, that's you. Come on, pray with me a little bit tonight. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what the temptation is. You can say tonight by faith, if you are a God of your name, get me on that other side one day, Jesus. I want to join with all of my loved ones that have gone on ahead of me. I want to, I know life gets emptier as I live because I'm losing people, God, but I'm not losing them. They're waiting for me on the other side, and I'm going to embrace that reality one day, and I'm going to worship Him forever. Come on, just say, I, I, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for the revelation of who you are, God, and the revelation of our eternal destiny wrapped up in the revelation of your name. We give you praise tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.